Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit, a podcast series that aims to take a closer look at the impact of the IT industry, both the good and the bad. Cut the Shit is brought to you by Plow Networks, a managed IT services company based just outside Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Brian Link, EVP of Products and Services here at Plow, and I'll be your host for this series. I'll ask questions, and with the help of our guests, try to dig deep on some of the key challenges we all face dealing with IT. So with that, let's cut the shit and get started. On today's episode, I'm super excited to have Jack Flanagan and Jason Griffith from Tennessee Retina as our co-guests today. Jack is the COO slash CFO of the organization, and Jason is the lone IT manager. So as a consequence, they work quite closely together. During our conversation, we get into the nature of that back and forth, how each of them thinks about IT in the context of the business of Tennessee Retina, and what they worry about when it comes to technology and their employees. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jack Flanagan and Jason Griffith. Jack Flanagan, Jason Griffith, welcome to Cut the Shit. Thanks for joining me today. Brian, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay, guys, so before we dive into the meat of the discussion, um, how about we start with each of you giving us an example of the most interesting use of technology or maybe a hack that you've seen or heard about recently from that you've either seen it from, you know, maybe from a client or from a colleague uh, or that you've even, you know, experienced uh, on your own. So Jack, why don't you start? Uh, wow. Great question. Outside of healthcare, right? This can be a personal it, experience as well. It, it, either. It doesn't matter. Yeah. What, it's up to you. I'm, I'm definitely tracking virtual reality and the Oculus. I have a, I have a friend who has a teenage boy who bought an Oculus for like some ungodly amount of money. And while it's a super cool toy, uh, apparently they've made it even pricier and now they're trying to sell it as a work product that uh, professionals can use in the workspace. It's going to be very interesting to see how that evolves over time because I see it as a game. I just can't see it as something that would help, you know, an average worker working at a desk. Right, right. Yeah, that, obviously the jury's out on that and we'll, we'll see it. Maybe it's maybe the first step in that direction. We don't know. We've been hearing about, feels like we've been hearing about VR and AR for a while, um, but it may be, you know, maybe the time is coming. I guess we'll see. So Jason, how about you? Yeah, the uh, the ChatGPT it, it amazes me um, how some people are using it. Uh, they're they're writing code, they're writing different uh, different applications, uh, they're writing term papers. Uh, it's uh, it's amazing uh, the different uses that people are uh, scavenging for it. So uh, I'm interested to see how it evolves uh, and and see how deep it can go uh, because some people are getting some really some really interesting results from it, and then they're also getting. Uh, some raps done. I saw the Constitution done as a rap song in the style of Cardi B. So uh, <laughs> you can, there you go. That technology can go. I mean, it's like the old days when I was a kid, right? We had Schoolhouse Rock, right? That was, uh, you know, that was that's how you learned that's how you learned civics in the uh, in the late seventies, mid to late seventies. So um, maybe this is the new version of that. We'll just we'll just assume that's the case. Yeah, the schools I think are pretty up in art. They're they're trying to figure out how to deal with this. So, um, as usual, tech, technology always gets applied by the by the the kids, and I would say the kids these days. But that's the kids always, right? How do I figure out how to make things simpler and and quicker? So uh, they're gonna have to figure that out for sure, for sure. All right, well let's uh, let's get into it. So before we get started, um, how about each of you give us a quick thumbnail sketch on your background and kind of how you got started uh, working in the medical field? So Jason, why don't you start? Um, started in the medical field, oh gosh, 1992, um, 150 years ago or so, uh, the latter part of the last century. Um, and st- really just started out uh, as a uh, nurse tech, 
in a hospital uh, and then got a job with the ophthalmology group in Texas. Uh, and of course, then uh, 9-11 happened and um, joined the Army and, and um, did my stint there, did a, a few tours over there, and then got a civilian job with the ophthalmology group on Fort Campbell uh, and then uh, got in with Tennessee right now. That's where I've been for the, uh, for the last 10 years, started out as a ophthalmic photographer, uh, and then just kind of garnered a knowledge for the network and, and the systems uh, within Tennessee Retina and uh, you know, just essentially kind of took over the IT uh, management uh, of the practice. So. Got it. Did you have a your experience in the military? Was that medical related or was it non, non-medical? No, I was a uh, I was a 11 Bravo, a uh, a infantryman, uh, my first tour, uh, and then did logistics uh, the last two tours. So, gotcha, gotcha. I realized right. that uh, getting shot at was the dumbest job in the army. <laughs> so I switched really fast. In in the realm of uh, who would have thunk it uh, statements, Jason. Thanks for that. That's yeah. That's a, I love I love I, I try I, I feel like I spend most of my days making statements that are are patently obvious. Um, and so you know that's that's one of those ones right there. I have to agree with you. And we got a bunch of ex-military guys that work at Plow, and I'm pretty sure they'd all agree with you. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> so Jack, how about you? Give us a give us a quick sketch. Uh, yeah, so um, I, you know, I was kind of a finance weenie for the first part of my career. I was a former Marine, um, um, and in one of my last tours, I actually got to be a company commander in a shock trauma platoon, which is kind of combat medicine, and uh, spent a couple of years with a medical battalion. And um, when I got out of the military after I retired, when I got out of the military, I had all this all this um, finance experience. And I also had this a little bit of healthcare experience and I started looking for a CFO job, got a CFO job at a medical group. And kind of from there, this was in San Diego and went from, uh, you know, there to managed care to a uh, specialty system based around a pediatrics hospital, then to a large health system and then landed here in Tennessee Retina as a, you know, as a working inside of a specialty field. And so it's been very unique for us because um, it's an interesting, it's, it's like a big company, but at the same time, there's only 10 doctors, whereas other groups here, you've got 200 doctors in lots of different locations. So you have to get really good at the same thing and really be able to handle volume. Um, so that that's my background. Gotcha. Excellent. So um, a little bit of a question related to that, given that both of you have shared military backgrounds or both have military backgrounds, you share that. Um, can each of you give me a sense of, of how that experience prepared you for the work you do today? Jason, you want to start? Sure. Uh, logistics, the logistics part of it probably had more uh, of an impact on what I do now, uh, just managing assets and uh, controlling, uh, or not controlling, but, but learning how to uh, use, utilize people uh, in the right place, in the right position, uh, utilize the right assets in the right place, in the right position. Uh, so um, uh, combat infantry didn't really, uh, it, it, there sometimes has to be some hand-to-hand combat uh, in the medical field. Uh, especially when you're dealing with doctors, so uh, I, I do get to I get to bring that in every now. Gotcha. You you have to give a throat punch every now and then, right? I mean, just to just to yeah. I mean, for I sure. try to limit it. I, I try not to. I just try to to limit it to that Bruce Lee one inch punch, you know, and right. not right. not full force. But uh, sometimes I have to draw back and go two inches. So, uh, but it, uh, it's effective. It is effective. Got it. Jack, how about you? 
Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, it's, it's funny uh, for all those years you think, oh, I'm in the military. I know how to lead people. And then you get out into the civilian world and you realize that telling people what to do is very different than leading people forward in a vision. And it was really easy as a as a as an officer to tell people what to do. It's much harder to convince, you know, a group of people, hey, this is something good for all of us. Let's march forward on this. Um, so I don't know that it directly translates. I think I think people put a um but kind of a moniker on you if you've been former military. But I think some of that dissolves away quickly when you get into all of the nuanced interpersonal relationships in the management team as well as with the employee. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know that it directly relates. That's fair. It's funny. I, one of the follow-up questions I'm going to ask is where has it been helpful and maybe other areas where not so much. And so you sort of took that already and answered it. So uh, you, you, you took my question, and that's perfect. Thanks very much. So. Um, I did. I realized I failed to to ask before we go any further. Jack, why don't you tell us about Tennessee Retina, what it is, and and what it is that you guys do? Uh, sure. So it is a it is a subspecialty. Um, we are kind of a subspecialty of of general ophthalmology. A lot of people go and see their ophthalmologist, but retina surgeons um, and and medical retina doctors, in addition to to going through medical school and going through residency and getting a um, getting board certified in ophthalmology. They also do a two-year um, fellowship beyond ophthalmology, and then they are able to practice retina medicine. And remember that the retina is the kind of the back part of the eye. It's kind of like a piece of wallpaper that sits on a curved wall. And when there are things that happen on the back part of the eye, um, from from chronic diseases and and also from you know sometimes from trauma then these surgeons are able to actually go in and help, you know, hopefully repair and treat through various uh, medications, uh, kind of treat some of the uh, some of the things that happen to the retina. Whereas the front part of the eye, the part that everyone sees, the, you know, the iris, the cornea, all of that, that's really done by general ophthalmologists. So there aren't a lot of retina surgeons throughout the United States. The groups are uh, tend to be fairly small. I think we're a fairly medium-sized to large group. We've got 10 doctors, about 160 employees. And we're in eight locations, but most of them are very centralized in one geographic area. And and that and that's what Tennessee Retina does. We've been doing it probably 35 years. It used to be that there was one retina surgeon in a town. And our founding uh, our founding um, physician, Dr. Guto, started in Nashville way back in like 78 or something like that. And then he hired Dr. O, who is now our president. So in the last 30 years, this practice has evolved from two doctors and maybe six or eight staff. And we've, you know, grown kind of exponentially over that time, or I guess incrementally over that time. And now we're in eight locations stretching all the way down to, you know, Columbia, South, uh, Columbia, Tennessee, up to Bowling Green, Kentucky, and then kind of east all, almost all the way to Knoxville. So geographically, we're getting pretty big and, 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 you know, patient volume. We we see about twenty eight thousand patients. Most of them have chronic conditions. It's not like you. Most times you don't go to the retina surgeon, uh, and and then get healed and just go away. Most of the diseases that we treat are chronic conditions that we have to manage for you know potentially the rest of their lives. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank you for that. That's helpful. I, I honestly and and uh, full disclaimer. I, I mentioned in the intro, but um, Plow, we we are a service provider to Tennessee Retina, so I'm familiar with both of these gentlemen on the phone. Uh, and somewhat familiar with the business, but I just learned something there. So that was that was helpful to me because I thought it was more of a procedure based surgical thing. Like you guys went in, fixed the eye and then and then moved on to the next person. And, and I did not realize as much of it was chronic. 
fortunately that means, you know, good for me, I guess at this point in my life, it means I don't have retina problems. I'm not, I'm not that familiar with it. And no offense to you guys, but I hope I never am, right? That would be good for me, um, but uh, that may not be the case. And if it is, if that happens, it's good to know that there are people out there that can help uh, like you guys. All right, so um, since we got you both here with Jack from kind of the business and finance side of the house uh, and Jason from the IT ops side, um, I thought we'd focus a discussion on, kind of, you know, not completely, but somewhat on the interrelationship between the two areas of the company. And so I'd like to start out by asking you a question, Jack. Um, how much time do you spend thinking about IT? And is that more or less than you think it should be? I only spend 3% of my time thinking about IT, honestly. But I worry, uh, if, if worrying is thinking, then I uh, then in the evenings before I go to sleep and when I'm driving to work, I sit there and think, oh man, who just crashed through our firewall and who's stealing what from us and when will we find out about it and how much is it going to cost us? So even though I don't spend a lot of my day thinking about IT, I worry about IT more so than most other parts of the business because the ramifications when you do it wrong are extremely costly and extremely uh, damaging to our patients. And so, uh, you know, we're blessed to have a guy like Jason here running our IT department. Prior to Jason, we had it almost entirely outsourced. We had a manager who was kind of managing it, but didn't have the technical skills to do that. And um, and Jason brings that knowledge, but we've always relied heavily on, because of our size, we've always relied heavily on a, a managed service partner to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I don't spend a lot of time on it, but I worry a lot about it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I would say if you don't worry about security, um, almost in any business, but particularly, particularly in a in a regulated business like healthcare, right? Then you you're probably kidding yourself <laughs> about about the situation, right? Uh, that that'd be somewhat naive um, if if you weren't worrying about. It. So, all right. So, Jason, I want to flip it to you, uh, and the question's a little different. How much time do you spend thinking about the business of Tennessee Red, and is that more or less than you think it should be? Um, yeah, I, I'm like, I'm like Jack, I, about 3%, you know, I, I don't, because it's the numbers thing. I, I don't, I'm not interested in, uh, as long as that, that paycheck hits every couple of weeks. Uh, that's, that's usually the extent of, of my, my concern about it. Uh, but having said that, I mean, we're in a very unique, uh, time period in healthcare where private equity, uh, is really making things. Uh, it's making the landscape a lot different uh, as far as as healthcare goes. Uh, it's not the same animal that it was uh, when I, you know, was in a hospital setting uh, back in in 1992. So, um, so so it's different. You you wonder, you know, which uh, which flag you're gonna to wake up to uh, the next morning. You know, you just don't know sometimes. Because it was kind of a shock to, to our system uh, when uh, RCA came in and and uh, and became part of, of us, or we became uh, part of them. Actually, um, you know, you just it's uncertain. You know, you're uncertain about things. So, um, so until something like that happens, I really don't. You know, the business side of it, as long as the computers can talk to each other and the network's up, I'm good. Okay, that's fair. So. How often do you guys talk, and, and maybe more specifically, how often do you talk about IT in a strategic way versus, uh, you know, sort of a problem-solving tactical way? And Jack, why don't you go first? 
Uh, well, I mean, we have regularly scheduled meetings. We have, you know, hard-coded one-on-ones every two weeks. Uh, most times we're not so operationally busy that we that we miss those. So most times we meet. The nice thing about it is there's a level of trust where Jason knows that I'm not trying to do his job, and Jason knows my job is to just remove barriers from him, uh, from his pathway. And I know that I can't do his job, and so I want him to. I want him to go do it because he has this uh, intellectual curiosity. And so um, we meet quite regularly. And I would say, gosh, this is a hard question. I would say that I would say that um, more than fifty percent of our time is thinking strategically on IT issues because. Yes, you need the basic block and tackle, tackling, but we trust Plow to be able to do a lot of that for us. And, and and also Jason just hired a person, a direct hire, to be able to help us on like the desktop support, you know, kind of like keeping the, the, the blood flowing in the patient. So when Jason and I get together, we don't want to start talking operationally about plans that he's going to lay down unless we know what the strategic long-term smart investment is. So most, most of our time is, I think more than half of our time is strategy. And it's because you got to know where you're going before you figure out where the first step should be and where you start spending the money. Jason? I completely agree. It's most of, of what we talk about is long term. Uh, you know, what what are we doing today to set us up for a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now? What's it what's it going to look like and, and what are the things that we're doing today? Uh, how are they going to affect that? Uh, so, uh, and I like that because we're we're finally starting to get into a place to where we feel comfortable. You never you never say, "Well, I'll just put on cruise control and everything will be good." But we're starting to feel more and more comfortable about our the basis uh, of our operations. You know, just to, the the networking and the, the the solid infrastructure of just our operation. Uh, so it, it allows us to really look forward uh, and, and to, to think about what's what's going to happen as we continue to expand and as our patient volumes continue to increase and uh, as we you know start to look at new locations and, and networking within those and how to how to improve those network connections and how to how to increase communication so um, I, I, I like those discussions uh, I like having those discussions because uh, if you're not thinking about the future you're probably not going to get there you're already behind right <laughs> That's right. For sure. All right. So, um, so Jack, given, given that technology obviously is critical, um, to the work that you guys do, you know, understanding a little bit about the applications and, and what's going on, um, with the, the imaging, um, and, and how critical that is to the, the nature of the work that the docs do. Um, how did you go about learning the tech IT side? How did, how did that, how did that, how did you, how did you do that? Um, asking a lot of questions and you get to ask a lot of questions when you control the purse strings. And so if, if your managed service provider can explain to you in plain terms why it's a good investment and why it's going to help you operationally, then you learn from that. And 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 fortunately or unfortunately, part of my job is to take you know complex business issues and boil them down for ten doctors who are not tech savvy or aren't business savvy. And you have to be able to give them give it to them in bullets and say this is why we're doing this. And if you can't do that, that means that you're either you either don't know what's going on or your salesperson or your managed service provider hasn't done a good job of prepping you. Right. Right. That makes sense. Makes sense. You mentioned the doctors and, and thinking about this is something we, we know is, a, is an issue sometimes in, inside healthcare organizations. Um, how much time do you guys spend 
educating employees and doctors about the either the use of core technologies and 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 I don't I don't mean the retinal scanning stuff. I mean I, we'll, we'll put that to the side, right? That's part that's part and parcel of the work they do. But in terms of the in terms of the basics, right? The tools that they that you're equipping them with to do the job outside of the core, you know, sort of service delivery. Jason, why don't you take that first? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Um, as much as we do, I don't think we'll ever be able to do enough um, because, you know, I mean, one of the things that I that I find interesting is that the biggest point of failure usually is the end user, and so to be able to educate them enough uh, as far as being able to utilize the core technologies, um, we the opportunity is difficult because we're we do have multiple satellite locations and when we're in the when we're inside the office or when those doors are open we're working so there's there's no there's very little time to provide you know that direct education unless it's you know through through email or, or something or something to, to give them those tools um it'll i don't think it'll ever be enough you know you you just i would rather have an overeducated end user uh, than uh, than anything else, but I just don't think that's that's a, a realistic uh, thought. And I guess Jack, I, I'd, I'd flip it to you, but then maybe maybe try to clarify a bit. Where do you get the sense from the troops that they feel like they don't know enough? Um, and and you know maybe that's maybe that's a maybe that's a little bit of a different way of asking the question. Yeah, yeah, y- you know, um, it, it, let's separate the two applications that we use in the business flow. That actually works because you layer that into, you infuse that into the training process. So all of the people that are working on the floor, in order to do their job, they have to figure out how to use the the practice management system. They have to figure out how to use the EHR. They have to pull up images. That's easy because they have to do it day to day. And they do it every day. It's it's integral to the job, right? I mean, you can't get away from it. And they just pick it up naturally. What's challenging is when we try to, on the non-clinical side, bring out some great capability that would really advance how we organize, how we communicate, and how we do our day-to-day jobs, and the technology just sits there. We've bought it. Everyone's got it on their desktop, and they're not freaking using it because they don't know how, and they don't, and and we never have time in the day to train all the end users. And so, very interested to tell you a quick story. So, we, we spent a lot of money, our, our former MSA uh, convinced us that we need to move from uh, desktop version to Office 365. So we we bit the bullet. We invested in it. We put it on everyone's desktop. And and darn if they just didn't. All they went in and wanted to do was use email and web browser. That was it, right? <laughs> but then what happened was what J- what Jason and I, I think learned was if you take away or move their cheese and they have to use it, dang, they get really quick and smart about using the new technology. So three years ago, as we implemented, we're like. We're going to use Teams or we're going to set up permissioning and everyone's getting on a SharePoint. We're going to do this department by department. And it just languished for like a year. All of a sudden, Jason says, hey, you know what? This this F drive here is seven years old. It's going to die someday, Jack. And I'm worried that everyone who's using it is going to come into work one day and go, where did all my stuff go? And so Jason, Jason and I agreed and we said, you know what, let's let's take away their cheese. Let's let's tell them that we're killing the F drive in like three months and you better figure out how to move all that stuff to SharePoint. Darn if everyone didn't figure it out. Right. Like they and now yeah. we don't I, I don't even know if the F drive still plugged in. Jason, is it even plugged in? I think it is. It's yeah, it's still there, but it's uh, yeah, it's not getting a lot of use. We, we might need to talk about that then. <laughs> 
for for that uh, for that worry thing that you were mentioning earlier, right? Uh, you, what, what's sitting in there? So, <laughs> you know, prior to prior to COVID, everyone was walking into the conference room and and sitting in a chair talking to one another. And now it doesn't matter where you work. I mean, we've got offices spread over all over Tennessee. Many of our senior people have uh, laptops. Jason has done a great job of pushing that technology to handheld devices as well. And so now all of a sudden, nobody meets in per. It is rare to go into a conference room and sit there and talk to a human being. Like everyone communicates. So did we have Teams training? No. But did the staff all figure out, hey, Teams is a heck of a lot more efficient than, than right. you know, scheduling a conference room and walking down the hall and bringing your laptop and learn by using. Right. Yeah, by using and 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 uh, it's you know it's 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 fascinating because I'm a planner and I'm an organizer, so I want to drive change. But it's almost like what I figured out with IT is to just sit back and let them figure out that they 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 have to use that system. I don't I don't know what the right solution is. Well, I mean it's a little bit of you know necessities the mother of all invention or, or all. I forget the phrase, but I think you know what I'm talking about, right? If you have to do something, you'll figure it out, right? And and. I mean, sometimes that can be painful for people, but if they, you know, that it's also, it, 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 you guarantee that they're going to get there, right? Especially when you're talking about things like, because let's face it, Teams is pretty easy to use. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a few things about it that are kind of quirky, but it's not real complicated to figure out how to do a web meeting. One, I mean, you, you know, my mother at 72 can knock that sucker out in no time, right? And she is, she's your average 72 year old. She's not particularly tech savvy. I mean, I think she's probably better than some, but you get what I'm saying. Like she has no problem with that stuff. So. Um, but the first time she you mentioned it to her, it freaked her out, right? She was not, she wasn't really, she wouldn't have done it if she probably didn't have to. I mean, this was back to the same point. So uh, now that I've given my mother a hard time and she's not here, I guess we'll go on to the next question. So um, Jack, you mentioned early on about worry um, and you, you talked about your own worry, but what, what is it from your all's perspective, what do your employees and doctors worry about most when it comes to technology? I mean, and, and are they worrying about the right things? And Jason, why don't you start first? You may be more on the front lines and then Jack can talk a little bit, maybe at more at the executive level. I, I think from our, from our clinicians, from our, our physicians, their immediate concern is always going to be connectivity and access to data. They, they want to have that real time uh, access to 100% of the data uh, all the time from everywhere. That's their, that's probably their biggest concern. Um, I don't think that the network vulnerability uh, is is on the forefront of their minds uh, because I believe that they've they have the confidence in, in what we're doing behind the scenes uh, to to eliminate a lot of those threats. So I, I think that I think they can rest easy on that. But they're like I said, their biggest concern because just because of the nature of the business, they're seeing patients uh, right. all the that, time. And they, that, without it, they can't do their job is really what Exactly. You, you just can't make an effective diagnosis or, or treat effectively without that. So I think that's probably their biggest concern. Jack, how about at the kind of the senior level? I think they worry that IT is a, is a spending black hole. Like when Jason and I come to them, they may trust that we have a really good idea or that's something that we really need to do. But I don't know that they've got a solid grasp for how quickly technology turns over and how just to keep pace with technology, you it has to be an important part of your budget. You know, you have to spend operational money on it. And what you're doing is you're you're risk avoiding in 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 one part. And I and I don't I don't know that the doctors because you can't touch it. 
and because the only thing they see is, you know, this laptop with a with a little monitor that takes a picture of them. Or if they're in the exam lane, all they see is form software and a all-in-one, uh, you know, computer. And they they know it's sitting out there in the cloud. They have no concept of how much is sitting out there in the cloud, how much it takes to maintain it, back it up. You know how much are we pay into the vendors, and so they just see they just see IT as God. We've got to buy more of those things. Why the switches are only seven years old? Why do we have to buy a new switch? Or that <laughs> server's only seven? Or you know this 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 person's? I mean, I remember at one time our life cycle maintenance plan was to replace computers between seven and nine years. That was the plan. Yeah, so uh... so stri- so strategically, it's really tough as a. I'm not even sure you can call that planned obsolescence. I don't. I don't even know what that is. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was uh, break. It was breaking. I think it's fix, just called cheese. It was break fix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Did they, yeah, and so for a while, what we said was, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to buy a new one, and then we're going to take this other one and put it on the shelf, and that'll be our our spare. And they love that concept because we have a couple of doctors who refuse to throw anything away, right? Like they just. They're just like, don't don't put that in the dumpster. I know that's a piece of optical equipment that we haven't used in 25 years and it's been in the storeroom, but that may have some value. Some I don't know why, but and so and so when you say, oh, I've got this, you know, this switch that's really worth zero, but we're gonna put it in the IT room, but I need a new one. They're like, oh, okay, well that's good. At least we're not throwing away the old one. I, it's reverse logic, but yeah, it works. I mean, so- it works. Has the from a from a a spending mix has the percentage of spending on IT how much has that changed in the past decade at, at Tennessee right I know you haven't been there that full time but you probably have some visibility is that did it used to be five or ten percent and now it's twenty or uh, you know I, I just was curious do the doctor and do the doctors look at it that way um, no we don't look at it as a percentage of revenue. Um, when we compare to other retina practices within Retina Consults of America, it's definitely something that we benchmark all of our operating expenses on. Um, but but the you know the owners, the doctors don't look at it that way. We okay. as we as managers do. Yeah, I was gonna say because I I would. <laughs> that's that's how I'm thinking of it. But I you know that's definitely not twenty percent. You know I, I I will tell you though it's very interesting just. Just because a company's spending a lot on IT doesn't mean they have really good IT. And 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 it by that, you know, action. this is kind of the yeah yeah. This is they might not know what to spend it on, so they just throw money at everything. Yep. What's what's interesting, and and I'm gonna brag on Jason a little bit. What was crazy was when when we, you know, we used to have an admin manager, and the admin manager used to run the IT department, but she didn't have the skill sets to be able to do that, so she didn't know what was needed. She didn't have the vision, right? right. We just talked about vision. So Jason comes in and in his first year, he just keeps hitting home runs. He's like, you know, and and this is this intellectual curiosity that he has. He sits there and says, well, we're paying this much and I think I've got a better solution. And if we do this, then we're going to save 8,000 a month. And my jaw drops to the ground. I'm like, wait a minute, how much are we going to save? And it's like, I don't even know that we got to ask the doctors to be able to do that because, and so what happened was he kept hitting home runs. Probably not. Uh, I think we actually did package it up just because if, well, if you the want whole to thing know. blows you don't up, want to just be like, you hey, we told you, you guys. I mean, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to just let that go by, right? That's not one. Oh, by the way, we saved it. We saved a bunch of money, but we didn't feel like we'd tell you, right? Yeah, yeah. But and so what Jason did in the first probably 18 months of him taking over this department was going through, and it's just that it's just that common sense approach to finding technical solutions. And then that's 90% of it. And then the 10% is, okay, let's be fiscally savvy about this. 
And so it was it's I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jason's because when he came in, nothing better than go to the CFO and say, you're spending less and I'm going to get you a better product. That's a that's a that's really easy. Now, those big wins that he got in the first 18 months, he's not going to be able to replicate that all the time. Right. I mean, at some point you shouldn't be able to. Right. If you I mean, it's like anything. If you optimize the system at some point, there's only you you, you know, you're going to get to the you, you're going to you'll you'll start to flatten out. Right. There's just not as much there's not as much juice left to squeeze. But that's OK. Um, I mean, that you, you know, that everyone should be realistic. Not that everybody is realistic, but they should be. Right. So. Um, all right. Well, let's let, let's follow on with that just a little bit. So. And, and I, I just, Jack, I just asked you one, but I asked you another one because I think it kind of fall, sort of fits in. As we think about from a financial perspective, how beneficial, if at all, and I use that, I, I say, I use this, that if at all on purpose, has the move to cloud-based technologies been for Tennessee Retina? Oh, I think it's been hugely beneficial. I, I, I think, I think for us, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but I don't think we have any software applications that we use in our business processes that are that are uh, PC or server based anymore. I, I'm not aware of I'm not. And if they are, they're not a critical business process for us. We've diligently moved to cloud based computing. The, the trick is, I think that I personally think the trick is uh, there's a lot of ways to get things in the cloud. Some of them are not cost effective or some of or some of them look like a good deal. This is why I'm asking, because, uh, you know, there's there's a good bit of buyer's remorse out there in the world when it comes to cloud technologies. Right. And and that that's actually not a it's not a knock on cloud technologies so much as it is. It's not necessarily, you know, the solution for everything or it can be done incorrectly, too. Right. Those those are two those two problems, you know, are, are distinct or well, not always. Sometimes they go together, but they, they are definitely distinct. So I was just curious what, what y'all's experience was with that. And it, particularly from sort of the financial perspective, obviously, operationally, it simplifies some things, particularly if you've got multi locations. Right. So you're not having to manage install based systems, you know, at eight locations, you know, where, you know, if something you know, if the server, you know, if the server breaks down at Bowling Green, somebody's got to go on site to do something, right? Uh, I mean, as long as as long as you got connectivity, you should be good, right? You can do redundancy with the data center or with the cloud with a cloud solution you couldn't do before. So those are obvious. I meant more kind of from the financial side. Has it been? Have you has has moving that to an opex? Has that been a good thing for you guys? Is that a is that fit into the strategy for for Tennessee Retina? Um. Uh, well, because that's not always the case for some people either, right? Because you could buy, you could, you know, you could buy stuff as capital and, and you know, as capital expense and and amortize it out. And you, you go, what you know, what I'm as a CFO, I know you, you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I, you know, um, it, it's, uh, it's a really good question because opex versus capex sometimes uh, accountants can kind of run down into a rabbit hole and they're trying to solve some kind of uh, you know accounting pros and cons over over some time continuum when it really should be more about um how quickly will that asset's value erode and and whether you're going to be stuck in a life cycle maintenance uh whereas if you can get something into the cloud you don't have to constantly worry about life cycle for us now now that being said that's i don't think that's something that that jason and i worry too much about at opex versus capex What's very interesting, though, Jason mentioned that we joined Retina Consultants of America uh, about a year and a half ago. What's what's beautiful about joining a private equity backed organization like that? To, a couple things. First of all, they do the heavy lift on some of the big things that you need strategically that maybe either you didn't have the the economies of scale to do as a single practice, but you can definitely do as like 35 practices nationwide. 
And then financially, the incentives get a little perverse because depending upon which uh, backer you get, they want to invest capital in your medical practice because they know that that small capital, when, when, when they have a low cost of capital, they can leverage that into much higher EBITDA, which then all of a sudden becomes a sellable well, benefit to them five years down the road. They have to invest, right? That's what a private equity fund. That's what a private equity fund is. It's cash to invest for growth. Right? What was interesting for us was we 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 went into 2022 thinking, oh, this is fantastic. Instead of going to the owners and begging for you know capex, we we just have to do a business justification and we can put all this into our capital budget. RCA was fantastic at supporting that because they know that that's a really good investment. But what was interesting, interesting. for for us was that Jason and I, it's not like we ran to the bank and just bought a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't need. We were still really, really smart about, okay, but wait a minute, let's prioritize these capital expenditures um, and and let's let's put the money where we get the highest patient benefit, right? Or the highest productivity increase for the workforce. And so if you're with a private equity company that truly knows how to manage uh, leverage capital and they don't get in the weeds of telling you how to spend your money it's a wonderful experience because you're 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 you have the ability to leverage your balance sheet now as, as a finance guy that's what i think of is let me leverage right. the balance sheet and 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 we can go places there and right. so so when i think of capex now i think of it more as first what's going to most benefit the patient and second, what's most going to benefit the business? And then, but third, I think about it as, oh, who's going to be footing the bill? Because if I can push this to CapEx and it doesn't affect my EBITDA, I want that because that's why they joined the partnership right. was to bring that capital to metric. us. So, right. so in a private equity world, you got to know who you're going to go into business with and you got to make sure that their interests are aligned with yours. If they are, it's a beautiful thing like we have, but we've heard stories of other practices that have gone to a different type of private equity partner and and they get really perverse incentives where they start doing just like not great fiscal decisions because the internal motivation isn't about the patient experience it's more about trying to protect EBITDA I know that's right. a kind of a geeky way of answering it but no no that's that's exactly what I was after because you know the the at least in the IT world, right? The cloud was, I mean, it's its probably the biggest, I mean, there's no question it's the biggest innovation in the past 15 or 20 years, right? And so, and, and there's a lot of zealots and a lot of a lot of enthusiasm for it for good reason, but there also tends to be a little bit of a Pollyanna about it that, oh, every time you move anything to the cloud, right? It's going to be better for you. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be faster. And 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 that's not true, right? I mean, it does, it, it, for, it, just because nothing is that simple, right? There is no such thing. That, that presents it as a magic bullet, and and we've got some customers that have had some really bad experiences um, doing, you know, lift and shifts to the cloud or trying to use it for certain things that really didn't make a lot of sense for, you know, for their business. So, and and we are the big, we, we sell cloud technologies. We love them, but it, it's, you know, it's just like anything else. It's a tool uh, and it's, it's got to be applied to the right problem. So I was just curious about y'all's experience with that because I figured knowing enough about the nature of your business, you had to have moved from on-prem to the cloud with those, with that imaging technology at some point. I don't remember, I know Zeiss is, I don't, I don't remember when all that happened, but I know that's happened in the past 10 years, uh, maybe even in the past five, I'm not sure. So I figured it was a big deal for you guys. So, all right. So um, just a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. I want to give you, a, you guys have a real job to do. So I want to let you get back to it. Um, what, when you think about, and Jason, this is a question for you, you know, 
What do you, what's the biggest challenge you face IT-wise when you think about helping Tennessee Retina be successful? I think it's just the advancing technologies, um, the, the speed at which which things advance. Um, you you want to you want to grab onto the coattails of those really fast and just hold on and bring everybody with you, but that's hard to do. Uh, it's hard to do in a in an environment like we have because you can't just implement everything all at once. Uh, you can't expect everyone to to jump on board and 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 be familiar and comfortable with uh, the advancing technology. So I think I think trying to be as progressive as you know, as technology is, uh, trying to keep up with it, that's probably the hardest thing to do uh, in our environment. Like I said, because you, you want to, I want us to be able to use, uh, you know, we're still using paper with some things back in the clinic area. And there's ways to, to, implement, it, to implement a digital solution back there. But it just it's one of those things I want to do it today. And I know it's one of those things that we just have to slowly implement. Uh, so uh, the implementation of new technology, that's that's probably the most, uh, maybe not the most troublesome, but the most frustrating thing for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jack, anything to add to that? You know, I would uh, I, it's a it's a great point, Jason, because what's interesting is your ITP. This is really about change management, right? It's really about adoption Absolutely. of technology <laughs> yeah. and your IT people are the closest to the technology, see the benefits, but it's not in their wheelhouse to be the change agents. Right. They're they're uh, their solution delivery. Your management team has to be the change agents, but if they don't see the value in it, then Jason's sitting here saying, why aren't you using this? And so it takes a partnership between your IT department and your managing departments uh, to get things off the ground. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, sits alongside of that, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, even if they've got a problem. Sometimes Jason has a tough time getting people to adopt because it's change right. and change. There's psychological reasons for change. There's uh, social reasons for change. And 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 Jason's, you know, Jason is not that guy. He's not the, you know, he's not the 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 truth sayer that can sit in a management meeting and and convince everyone why it's a great idea to use this technology. It's like that's not his skill set. His skill set is to find the technology and put it into our hands, but the end user is the one that's got to own it, and that's that must be frustrating for him. I think it's I think describing that as really a change management issue is an important one, right? Because I, and I think we tend to forget that in technology, we're like this is so obvious, right? And and it, it it may be it may seem that way, but that you know that that really discounts the human element that we're dealing with here, right? When it comes down to it, and and the, and and never underestimate the devil, you know, right? People can people can comp- complain bitterly about a particular system or way of doing something. That doesn't mean that they're going to be all ready to, and gung ho to try something that they don't know, you know, that's uncertain in their mind. Um, that's just, uh, you know, that's the nature of, of people. If it were, if it were, uh, if it were easier, uh, I guess everybody would do it. So maybe that's the maybe that's the only thing positive I can think of to say about that. So um, let's take one step up a little bit. So you know, kind of given the complexity of of IT and healthcare, and you guys are in especially especially areas, but it's still kind of fits under that same umbrella. You know, what do you guys see as the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge for providers like Tennessee Retina in the near future? Is that it could be finding great people, it could be technology, it could be regulation. What, what are the, you know, there could be a lot of tailwinds helping your business. What, what are, what are maybe, what's, what's a significant headwind or a, a fear of a, a, you know, sort of potential challenge for, for trying to be successful? 
kind of again at the industry level. So maybe take specialty med medicine as a, a retina specialist as an example, since that's your world. Jack, why don't you go first? Um, yeah, um, boy, I, I have done a lot of thinking about this because because we see in other industries where they have market disruptors, they come in like retail, for example, right? Like Walmart was a market disruptor at one point, but now people are like, Walmart, you shop at Walmart? Like I go to Amazon, right? And then who knows what the next, they have an right. iterative market disruption. What's weird about healthcare is that while they love to talk about market disruptors, uh, the healthcare, it's it's very static. I mean, as you see it evolve over the decades, healthcare is entrenched, right? It's protected somewhat. It's got a huge um at a national level, there's a lot of you know political reasons why they don't want it to change. What I what I think is what I think is is a one thing that I watch is technology being a disruptor in the healthcare setting. Uh, because because we've delivered so much technology to the end customer, the patient, that it seems like someone should be able to come in and go, healthcare is a commodity or healthcare is a service, just like getting your taxes done. And whether you decide to go to H&R Block or whether you go to what are the other providers, I don't know, you know, local CPA firm or whatever, like it's a service and you just pay for that service. And then you go on and and I see some inroads to using technology to be able to empower the purchasing decisions. But the challenge is the insurance industry and the healthcare industry has such a stranglehold on how services are delivered that technology is having a really tough job breaking into that barrier you know like for example transportation industry when you talk about uber for example look at how quickly that technology placed in users like i haven't taken a cab in decades or years right so but in healthcare no one's coming out there and saying let me put the technology in your hand and you're just going to go out and shop find it and 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 go and get that service at the price that you want if you don't like that price you move on but there are so many other influences that keep Agreed. this this gridlock going and it was interesting during COVID, you know, during the pandemic, right, was there uh, There was a lot of gnashing of teeth about, you know, being able to do a virtual visit with the doctor, right, to see if you had a sore throat or whatever. And and, and I, I think for the average the average healthcare consumer, you're like, you're kidding me. I'm going to get on the phone for someone. For, you know, I'm going to get on a web meeting for a doctor for 15 minutes for them to say, you know, ask me a couple of, of questions about the same thing I do if I was sitting in a doctor's office, you know, urgent care visit. Um, and And that's like a big deal. Like, I think for most people, they're kind of like, why the hell haven't we been doing this already, right? And and the reason is because of what you're just talking about, right? It's not easy. You can't just do that, right? I mean, it's a. I mean, you can, but you might you might get you might get hammered, um, or you'll it will have to be everybody paying out of pocket, right? It'd be like you know the old um, what was the surgery, um, in, not not implants, but what they did. The, it was initially RK where they did the um, fix your vision, um, laser sur you know, uh, LASIK, yeah. That was all, none of, you know, insurance didn't pay for that. And so it became this, it was, it was an area that where technology had a big impact, right? And the price went down and all that kind of stuff, right? And I don't know if you could do that for everything, but it, it was sort of, it is sort of an interesting use case for, at least for a particular type of healthcare that operated a little bit differently outside the system. So um, anyway, uh, maybe that's a good note to, to wrap on as we think about, you know, kind of a the sort of bigger picture from the, uh, from the, from the industry itself. Um, as I told you guys, uh, you know, I always like to wrap with kind of a personal question, um, just to, to just close us out. So, um, start with you, Jason, first, first question, tell us something that you've watched or read lately that you think others ought to check out. Um, I watched the first two episodes of, 
the last of us on hbo and uh it's it's good it's it's crazy because i try i've tried to watch walking dead probably four or five times and i never can get past the first episode this one is and it's story storyline similar but for some reason i was just you're hooked taking it so yeah i'm hooked last of us all right jack how about you Oh, gosh. Well, I'm, I, I love documentaries because um, I don't want to be entertained. I want to learn. And so I, most of the times I watch documentaries. I watched this documentary in one of the streaming services, and it was something about like how cell phones are killing us. And it was a scientific document documentary about about um, how cell phone frequencies affect living organisms. And the fact that I didn't know this, but the the. Um, the world actually has a frequency, a, a resonance that the magnetic field works off of, and that our human brains, the way that our, our minds are constructed, we vibrate off that same frequency. And so we see these people who can't be near radio towers, can't be in areas. There's this place up in West Virginia, it's like a high speed you know, uh, spook area, and people live within a certain number of miles around there because uh, cell phone towers and any kind of radio towers are prohibited. And it's like going back into the 1800s. And and the other thing, you know, when they talk about who killed the bees or, or, or why aren't the honeybees coming back again, they uh, there was this um, study in England where they where they put a cell phone. No, not a cell phone, a portable phone inside of one beehive. And then there were like five other beehives. And then they counted the return rate on the bees coming back to the hives. They would you know, smoke them all out and then they'd come back over time. And it was dramatically different. None of the bees wanted to go back into the hive that, that had that in there. And so I find it really fascinating because I think there are things that we are doing to ourselves that we don't understand the science behind it, but we think it's really good for business. And so let's put a cell, you know, let's put something, let's put a radio transponder into this device and then carry it with you 24 hours a day, put it 18 inches from your head when it's sleeping at night. And then, you know, people have health problems and they just don't understand why. So I thought that was fascinating. Look for it on one of the streaming services. Like I said, I think it's, I think it's, you know, cell phones are killing us or, you know, cell phone causes cancer or something like that. And it was, it's fascinating. A non-provocative name is what you're saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Last that question. That also has a very interesting take on the moon landing. So. On the what? <laughs> on the moon the landing. Moon landing? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I still made, want to see what's on the dark side of the moon. I still believe there's something up there, but that's it's made in a Hollywood basement. That's right. So, all right, last question: um, What is the most amazing medical intervention you've ever witnessed or been around? Doesn't have to be a life-saving intervention, although it could be. There's maybe bonus points for that. But uh, medical intervention that you've heard, you've witnessed, or been around. Jason, you there was start. a case. Uh, I believe it was in Vanderbilt. Um, where they used uh, a patient had a traumatic eye injury um, and they lost the uh, the capsule bag that held the natural lens of the eye. And so the surgeon was able to use a piece of bone from the patient. And I can't, I can't remember where they got it from, but they used a piece of bone, uh, basically hollowed it out, made a circle, um, sutured it into the, the eye uh, behind the iris in the place of the uh, capsular bag, placed the interocular lens in there, and the patient was able to uh, to regain you know, quite a bit of sight uh, after that uh, that injury. So I thought that was I thought that was kind of out of the box thinking. Uh, but you know when you 
when you think about it, to, to put something into the center of the eye, that's one of the first places the body's going to look to inject. You know, so sure. you've got to have something in there that the body's not going to inject. And to use their own bone uh, in that that manner, I thought was was really cool. So I thought that was some, some really outside the box thing. You know, I'm sure the patient appreciated it as well. I'd say so. Jack? Um, yeah, I don't know that it's any one single thing. Um, one of uh, one of the things t- Tennessee Retina is well known for is we are you know nationally renowned for doing clinical research trials. And I'm really interested to see what comes down the pipe when it comes to genetic um, genetic materials being able to be, in, uh, you know, cells being able to be injected into the subretina. And then those cells actually help heal the eye. And it's uh, very fascinating to to think that, you know, we won't have to inject, you know, these uh, pharmacological agents that we put into the eye that, you know, somehow we can put stem cells into the eye or whatever, wh- however they adapt the cells and that the, the body can basically repurpose those cells for a completely different purpose. I think I think that's absolutely fascinating. I know none of them have gotten through clinical trials yet, but we've definitely been involved in some of those. And, and the science behind it was way, way above, I apologize. The science is way above my uh, knowledge level, but um, really cool to really cool to hear about. Excellent. Excellent. All right, guys. Um, I think I've taken enough of your time. Um, we'll wrap there and let you guys get back to work. Um, Jack, Jason, thanks again for being on Cut the Shit. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for being a customer. Uh, I hope we're doing a good job. If we're not, call me after this and we'll talk. Um, <laughs> but uh, outside of that, we really appreciate it. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Right, you thanks a lot so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would become a subscriber wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would really help us out. Or you can just go old school and tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, and hell, anybody else who you think might want to hear something like this to listen in. If you're on social media, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at cuttheshit underscore pod. We are also on TikTok, at CutTheShitPod, all one word, where we post lots of clips from the podcast. And last but not least, you can also watch the YouTube version of the show on our YouTube channel, at Plow Networks. Until next time, take care and have a great day.